want to see what life is like inside the bottle. Jen's Playground has its own website and Facebook fan page. Go to www.jensplayground.com for more details. What the fuck is this? Isn't this a delightful tune? Uh, wait a second, man. Do I have to play catch-up with you again? Have you been smoking that new strain, uh, what do you call it? I call it Watsy Kush. Watsy Kush. Nice. What else you doing, broha? I'm designing the new set, man. Sweet. How's it coming? I've decided that it's going to be the first ever set that is completely green. Ooh, an all-green set would be boss. Hell yeah. You know how the Mirans and the Phyrexian factions had a war? Well, this time it's going to be Sativa versus Indica. Oh, that's sick. Check this out. Here's an artifact I like to call Venser's Vaporizer. Tap it, sack it, bounce target permanent to owner's hand, that player smokes a bowl. Oh, I dig it. You know, we can make a land called Garrick's Grow House. Tap it, sack it, target player gains two life, that player smokes a bowl. Or how about Jace's 12-foot-tall bong of mystical destiny? Tap it, pack it, target player draws a card, and that player... Uh... Smokes a bowl? Smokes a bowl. Hey... Jin's Playground is about to start, dude. Ooh, think I have enough time to take a monster hit of some of that Watsy Kush? Uh, uh, I think so, but you better hurry. Alright. What it do, sickos? At long last, the almighty Jin has returned. Did you miss me? Episode 27, The First Barrel. You know, some guys would rather run down and get one cow. I'd rather walk down and get them all, you know what I'm saying? Are you guys ready for some shit? The kind that only the gin is capable of pinching off. You are listening to a little podcast that we like to call Jin's Playground, and here is something that you may not know. You get a Planeswalker participation point just for listening to my ass. And that single solitary point gets a 1,000 times multiplier. That is, of course, unless you're listening to this podcast on a Friday night, in which case you get a 50,000 times multiplier. Of course, your points reset as soon as you stop listening to this podcast. But here is the good news. When it comes to your lifetime points, you'll become a level 83 Icelandic ninja shaman. How do you like that applesauce? And just picture it. You'll walk into an FNM, and the mood all changes like a gunslinger walking into a saloon. Level 83 up in this bitch. You know, their eyes are going to grow big. They can't help but silently tell themselves, Look at the size of that guy's geek penis. He must listen to Jin's Playground. (laughs) Oh, shit. 
I forget how much fun podcasting is. Why doesn't everyone do it? <laughs> the world may never know. As you may have guessed by now, this is not a podcast for small children. If you are a small child, please stop the stream right now. You little shit. Just kidding, just kidding. Uncle Jin loves little children for breakfast. If you are a first-time listener of this podcast, we have a table especially reserved just for you. Please take a seat. Your topless suicide girl waitress will be with you momentarily. And if you are a long-time and loyal disciple of the playground, free lap dances for the first 50 mofos to drop comments in the comments section of the show notes. And if lap dances aren't your thing, or you know what, maybe they are your thing, but the wifey isn't secure enough to let you have one, well then, you know, I'll, I'll get you, uh, I don't know, a tall glass of milk, I guess? I mean, if lap dances aren't your thing, you're probably listening to the wrong show. Go listen to the Magic Sock or something. Ooh, did I just say that? I should probably edit that shit out. Just kidding. The folks at Jin's Playground loves Ron Vital and the Magic Sock. Not really, but kind of, sort of. All right, all right, all right. I admit it. It's been a while since the last time I put on the headset. You know, I, I could just bullshit you here and tell you that I've been enjoying the summer with the family and friends. You know, spending time working on developing my business. You know, all the while enjoying a much-needed vacation. I could tell you that. But why not just come clean with the God's honest truth? You know, the fact of the matter is, I'm a fucking gin. I live my immortal life inside of a bottle. And the last two months in between podcasts are like two seconds to me. You know, how's the saying go? Time in between podcasts makes the heart grow fonder. Oh, something like that. Now look, I'm not going to make excuses here, but what I am going to do is something that I've never ever done before, and that's give you guys two back-to-back -back episodes. Hey, you guys have waited long enough, you guys deserve it. It's more work for me, but, eh, what the hell. Your wish is my command. We need two episodes. I mean, we need it because a lot has happened in the last few weeks. A lot of things are happening right this very moment, and a lot of things are going to happen in the future, and it's mission critical that we lay it all out on the table and discuss precisely how the immortal djinn feels about it. So with that said, stop whatever it is that you're doing, pop open your energy drink of choice, pull the hood over your head so they can't get a read, and prepare yourself for a white-hot ball of podcasting justice. But first... Now, a while back, mtgcast.com was hacked, and its servers brought down. Now, why this happened, who knows. You know, MTGcast hosts a lot of podcasts. Now, maybe someone said something on a podcast that pissed a guy off, and instead of just dealing with the offending culprit on a one-on-one, -on -one, they felt it'd be better to just bring the entire friggin' site down. I mean, I understand why hacking happens, I've actually known a couple of guys, I won't name names, but they could do some really next-level things with their computers, and some of those things weren't always nice things. But I think the main reason why a lot of these guys do what they do was to prove kind of how smart they were. The more antiviral, anti-spyware firewalls they can destroy, the more of a challenge it was to them, you know? But MTGCast, 
I mean, what was really gained or obtained by bringing this site down? Nothing. Nada. MTG Cast is a simple, harmless site. It's stick to screwing with the Scientologist. I'm sure that's infinitely more challenging, not to mention more satisfying. But in the aftermath of all of this, uh, we, we pull back the curtain at MTG Cast and we find guys like Chris Otwell and Tom Gustafson cleaning up a huge mess. But they cleaned it up. It took a lot of time and effort on their part, and they asked for nothing in return. They kept plugging along, trying to keep up, all the while incoming podcast submissions bottlenecked. And I just, I got to thinking about like what I could do to help them out, even if it was just something simple. I got the idea of doing something that proved to be pretty popular in a previous episode. So I decided to do another Tainted Ten. Now, basically, the Tainted Ten was a series of random, no-holds-barred topics and questions that were submit via the official Jin's Playground Facebook page by you guys, the loyal listeners of this show. I took the first ten and made a commitment that whatever the topic or question was, I would cover it or answer it. This time around, I thought I'd add a small twist. Whoever donated five bucks to MTG Cast will get their topic covered on a Tainted Ten telethon of sorts. You know, the way I looked at it, MTG Cast has some bills to pay, especially after this crash and donating some money to help support this website that we know and love, it's the least we can do. And as a result, we raised 55 bucks, and we have a hell of a lineup to go over. This particular episode is dedicated to those who donated and showed their gratitude for the folks who make it all happen at MTG Cast. So, without any further ado-do... The Tainted Ten Telethon. Now, the first topic we have comes from a disciple named Jean-Francois Denon. I hope I'm saying that right. Here in America, we'd call you Jean-Francois Denault. So, I hope I got it right the first time. He writes in, Donation made, I would like to hear your top five favorite gin cards in Magic the Gathering. Xanum Jin is actually one of my favorites, not necessarily because he's very good, but because of the story I had with this badass. Now, back in the day, I found myself in the finals of an Invasion Sealed Deck tournament, facing probably one of the most intensely competitive females I've ever faced. Her name was Amber. Now, some might say that she didn't like me to begin with. I mean, after all, we were each on two of the largest rival teams here in Colorado. But I don't really think that that was the case. I just think that she hated losing to anybody. I mean, I have an insane deck, and hers is pretty good too. We have a crowd gathering, mainly teammates. I convinced myself that I was safe. I dumped my hand, forcing her to have an answer. Otherwise, it's, it's lethal and GG. In Game 3, she sets up a very good play, casting Breath of Daragaz with Kicker, clearing the entire board, and then she casts a 2-1 Critter. I think it was Firebrand Ranger, or something like that. I top-deck Xanum Jin and Windmill Slam it down. It's a 5-6. She draws, and Windmill Slams Callous Giant. Xanum Jin goes back down to a 3-4. But then, I top-deck Xanum Jin number 2. Both are 5-6. She draws a land the following turn. Knowing she is about to take 10 points of lovin' from the twin gins, 
She promptly kicks my shin from under the table as hard as she can. I think had I asked her to sign those gins, she would have tased me or something. Painful memory, but a great one. I really like um, I really like Gin of Wishes. I think that it's the most in line of of what a gin should be in terms of flavor and, and mythology. I mean, you have a blue flyer, and for four mana, you rub the lamp. You either get a card to play off the top for free, and if you don't, you're screwed. You get nothing. Let's see. I like um, I like Urnum Jin. You know, I really used to enjoy playing a couple of decks where he was the star. Uh, Urnum Geddon and Urnum and Burnum. And there was a time when playing a second turn Urnum was a huge deal. Shit, now you just put out a Leatherback Bailoth on turn two without the Forest Walk drawback and it ain't no thing. But he still has a very fond place in my heart. Juzam Jin has probably one of the most evil illustrations of a Jin. period. I mean, just look at him. I mean, he's dangling homeboy, ear-to-ear grin. He just seems like he's amused in a very wrong way. Like, do I just eat this guy, or do I toy around with him before I eat him? But my all-time favorite gin has to be the Fat Modi. Big Papa. The Ball Cracker. The Blue Fist. Mahamodi Jin, specifically the Greg Staples illustrated Mahamodi Jin, is what the Jin is all about. 5-6 flying master of ass kick. You know, erupting out of the sands, pissed off with a little tiny dude below who's probably shitting himself, looking up at him. By today's standards, I'll concede that he seems like a vanilla flyer. But there was a time not so long ago when this guy was the undisputed heavyweight champion of Bottle Dwellers. He still is in my book. Anyway, that's my top five, but I'll be honest, I love them all. Even Fledgling Jin. Oh, he's so cute. Now, a huge shout-out to longtime Jin's Playground disciple, Billy Massingale, as he has donated 15 bucks, which entitles him to three topics. The first topic being, what were your best and worst experiences at a gentleman's club? <laughs> you guys are you guys are just filthy degenerates, you know that? I mean, you really want to hear this stuff? And then again, how am I any better, really? I mean, I, I guess I'd want to hear about this stuff. I'm not really any better. Not at all. Best and worst experiences at a gentleman's club. I mean, aren't they all pretty good? I mean, even the bad experiences kick some ass. A long while back, I was out in Las Vegas for a PTQ with a a few buddies of mine. Uh, We road-tripped out there and locked up a room at Circus Circus. And and please, do yourself a favor. Don't, don't ever, ever stay there. You know, I know that it only costs 10 bucks for a room there, and, and, and they have a, a, a $1 all-you-can-stomach buffet, but this place is just a toilet. Anyway, we dropped off all of our stuff and immediately left to see more pleasurable sights. We hit the famous, or infamous, depending on who you ask, Girls of Glitter Gulch Show Club on Fremont Street. 
just like you'd imagine, there's a guy standing outside of the joint doing the carnival barker bit. We got white pussy, black pussy, Spanish pussy, yellow pussy, hot pussy, cold pussy. You know, the whole nine yards. Now, I have a little alcohol inside of me, but not nearly enough to completely diminish the overwhelming feeling that we're going to have all of our money stolen from us while barely escaping with our lives. Now, it was a free cover charge, so that's good news, right? It was also a two-drink minimum, and the drinks were 15 bucks each. All right, all right, it's their silly rules, so we'll, we'll play by them. Now, I don't want to name names, or, uh, you know, say who was with me at the time, because I'm a, I'm a big believer in protecting the innocent. And since none of us were really innocent, Jason Henry and Kenny York and I walk into this joint, and they immediately seat us in front of this small stage, and we, we order our drinks. I, I ain't gonna lie. Uh, the, the girl on stage, not very attractive. And lucky for me, she had a thing for Kenny. And lucky for Kenny, there was another girl standing behind him who was infinitely more attractive that convinced him to leave with her for a private dance. Now, shortly after Kenny takes his leave, this incredibly attractive girl slides right into my lap. No introduction. No, hi, how you doing? Isn't this lovely weather we're having? No. No. She cuts right to the issue at hand, whispering in my ear, I'm going to maul you like a tigress. Now, how do you possibly play the fool here you know i know why i'm there she knows why i'm there let's do some work so she takes me back to this private couch and, and tells me that we're we're looking at twenty dollars a song I mean that's that's reasonable now i should first let it be known that there are different kinds of dancers when we're, we're talking about lab dances you know, there's the kind that just nonchalantly go through the motions, and there are those that think it's it's a turn-on to have them jump up and down on you as hard as you can while they're convulsing in what couldn't be a more non-seductive manner. But this girl, <laughs> this girl, she did it right. She slithered, rubbed, and moved very slowly and deliberately, biting and breathing in my ear. God damn. Meanwhile... Jason is stuck back at this stage. A, a girl finally comes up to him and says, It is against our policy to have you just sitting around. We have to go have a lap dance now. I mean... <laughs> I mean... If that line of proposal doesn't get your engine running, I don't know what will. They leave, and while we're gone, they leave our six drinks on the stage. And just a couple minutes later, they take them away. We didn't even get to drink them. Now, I go about four, maybe five songs with this hottie, and, and I call it good. I go back towards the entrance and meet up with Kenny and Jason, who were there waiting for me. And I ask Kenny, how's, you know, how's your dances, man? And he's like, oh, awesome. How's yours? And I'm like, awesome. How's yours, Jay? And he replies, this place fucking sucks. <laughs> all in all, though, I, I think, uh, even though I, you know, I like paid 30 bucks for drinks that I didn't get to consume... And the place being a bit on the skanky side of the fence, it's still one of my worst and best strip club memories. Now, moving on to Billy's second question. What is my favorite road trip that I have taken, Magic the Gathering related or not? 
Well, you know, I've been on uh, I've been on a lot of road trips, but I, I think that particular Vegas trip that I took with the guys ranks up there as my favorite. And basically, there was this this PTQ out in Vegas, and, and it was a four seater, meaning instead of one blue envelope to win, there were four of them up for grabs. It was probably one of the worst tournaments I've ever played in, but this tournament landed sometime in the winter here in Colorado. And my brother from another, Josh Kreitzer, who actually taught me how to play Magic, decided that we'd take his car to Vegas. And Jason and Kenny were along for the ride and ready to make the, the gas money donations. And the, the, the problem that we ran into was that the I-70 corridor was shut down due to a statewide blizzard. But that didn't stop us, oh no. We went the long way, down through New Mexico, Arizona, and 18 hours later we land in Sin City. When they say that the journey is the thing, it really is true, man. We ate horrible food, we fought through icy roads, we got to see Route 666. I mean, if that's not a, a bucket list achievement, I don't know what is. I mean, we drank milk chugs in Utah, the state where milk is king. I mean, we even made our team name official, Team Luscious Nectar. You know, and of course, Vegas was a lot of fun, and we knew it would be. I mean, we got to do the Star Trek experience before it closed down. Uh, we did a fair share of gambling, drinking, and strip clubs. But I gotta tell you, that the trip is really what did it for me, not the destination. And we're moving right along to Billy's third topic of discussion. He would like for me to talk about some of the degeneracy that went on at Ed Wolf and whatever became of store owner Ben. I mean, to be completely honest with you, brother, I have no idea what happened to that guy. He's probably holed up somewhere in the Canadian mountains, part of some nutjob, hardcore, right-wing, end-of-days survival compound. And not a lot of listeners will really be able to relate to this little tale, but uh, we'll give it a shot. Once upon a time, there was this gaming store called Edwolf. And not only did this gaming store have the worst name ever, but its location was equally terrible, snuggled out of sight, and deep within a group of industrial buildings. Yes, magic was played there, occasionally. And yes, there may or may not have been an obscene amount of gambling happening in the form of $5 and $10 no-limit hold'em tournaments that ran almost daily from evening until dawn. Hitting the donut shop at 8 in the morning after poker shenanigans had ended may have also happened as well. And what's a good story without a name drop? Esteemed magic pro Zvi Moshewitz may or may not have been a part of these delightful little festivities. Needless to say, this business didn't last very long and eventually folded its tents. Ah, the life of a small businessman. Moving right along, Stephen Berenyi, um, I, another one that I might have just butchered right there, he donated five bucks and he says, I recently went mill for a Star City Games Invitational Qualifier and took fourth. He's also posted a, uh, a blue-black mill deck that utilizes crabs, Archive Traps, Jace Bellerin, as well as a healthy amount of Disruption, Inquisitions, Despised Arrest, as well as uh, some Doomblade and Go for the Throat. Uh, he makes the comment, tell me how Mill is not competitive. Okay, I'll do my best. Let me gather my thoughts for a moment. <sighs> okay, alright. Mill is not competitive. Uh, seriously though, you know, I can actually see how this deck might be very competitive in the right kind of metagame. You know, one of the things that I've learned from some of my professional friends is that if you can anticipate what kind of opposition you'll face, 
you can get creative and piece together an answer deck that uh, you know for that specific metagame. It may be unorthodox. It may not be a deck that you'd take to any other tournament. But for that specific tournament where you pretty much know what you're going to face, taking a deck like this into battle isn't a bad idea. For example, I can see how you would be able to just rip through a field of mid-range and Valakut decks like it's butter. Conversely, I can see how decks like Tempered Steel and Eldrazi Green would rip through this deck like butter. But if you knew that there was going to be a low percentage of those decks and a high saturation of Valakut and mid-range, I don't see this as a bad move. I think that Mill gets a very interesting reboot in terms of where it can go with Innistrad. I mean, are the tools there to build a, a, a self-milling post-rotation dredge deck that can, if necessary, flip the script and mill their opponent out if it's a favorable matchup to do so? Now, for someone who has proven themselves with a mill deck, I'm going to leave it in your capable hands to solve this mystery, Steven. Let me know how it goes, amigo. Moving right along, we've got Timothy Sinnott to win it. Chimes in saying, donation made, I trust your judgment on topics, though I wouldn't mind anything revolving around Colorado, beer, and magic. Enjoy. You know, it's funny, I, I was watching a commercial the other night about Sam Adams' beer, and the brewmaster was talking about the beer, and when he was describing it, he used the word complex. Their beer is complex. It's a complicated brew, after all. You have to have at least a bachelor's degree or equivalent to truly understand this beer. Most of you are too dumb to drink this beer. Because it takes a keen intellect to figure out how to swallow fluid from a bottle. Come on, Sammy. Get over yourselves. There's nothing elaborate about beer in a bottle. Now, I know, I know, I'm probably pissing off the beer snobs who, who actually smell their beer right before they gargle it. Hmm, I detect undertones of jasmine, walnut, oranges, and guacamole. Will you just shut up, please? Drink it! That said, Sam Adams makes a pretty good friggin' beer. Here's the thing, I know why you want me to talk about Colorado. I know why. It's because you're homesick... You up and left one of the most beautiful states in the Union and moved to Texas. Texas, dude? Seriously? Now, you know, for you listeners out in Texas, don't get your panties in a bunch. I could go on and on about how glorious Colorado is, but the Texas crowd clearly already knows about all of this because half of Colorado is made up of Texans. So it's only a matter of time until you move back. It's a mathematical certainty. But the one thing I will say about Colorado, the game of magic has taken me to places all over our great country. I've been to Seattle all the way over to Orlando and everywhere in between. And I am always happy to come back to Colorado. We have, in my opinion, one of the most tight-knit and robust magic communities in the country. In fact, I'm just going to put it out there. If you're a pro, or even if you're not a pro, if, if you're just a person who loves magic... And you're at a point in your life where you could go live anywhere. You should give Colorado a try. You can thank me later. We love our beer, we love our sports, and we play an ass ton of magic. Cheers, y'all.
Next order of business comes from Jay Lynch. He writes in saying, just donated five bucks. You definitely got me off my ass. Speaking of, question, what are your top five fast food places regarding quality and deliciousness and reasons for each choice? Can I take your order, please? Now, I'm assuming that you're referring to the last episode where I talked about our gaming community trying to eat healthier and get some exercise. I think it's great that you're doing something, man. But now we're going to talk about fast food? What? All right. Now, here's the thing, man. When, when you climb in age, you become a lot more observant. You look around and, and you notice that there, there aren't many 50, 60-year-old guys pounding triple stackers from BK. You know, none of them are gulping down 60-ounce Mountain Dews. But when you're young, you ask for extra cheese on that shit. You know, I've been trying to dial back on the fast food lately, and I, I encourage all of you and everyone listening to eat things that are healthy for you. So, that said, the following information should only be used sparingly. Like when you've just smoked a chronic blunt and you have no choice but to feed the animal. Now, fast food has changed in a lot of ways. I mean, it used to be that you drove through, grabbed a Coke and a greasy sack, and you were on your way. Now they've got these fast food walk-in chains that, that serve some pretty insane stuff. Like number five, Noodles & Company. I mean, they're pretty fast at cranking out some good bowls of pasta. And their Japanese pan noodles are actually not too bad for you from a calorie perspective. But if you're just going to go balls out at this place, I mean, you might as well just go with the macaroni and cheese and, and throw some extra cheese on that. And while you're at it, you, you might as well go ahead and throw one of those insane Rice crispy wedges in there too. Just get that done. And number four, I've got Qdoba. You know, that massive silver stomach bomb. Rice, black beans, shredded beef, and a whole lot of cheese, sour cream, and hot salsa. It's been reported that after eating one of these burritos, people have become closer to Jesus. I can actually buy that. Number three, I've got Subway. I mean, there's plenty of good-tasting fast food places, but not a whole lot of good-tasting fast food places that are healthy. But this one probably comes the closest. When trying to cut back on all the bad stuff, this place is like rehab. You can get a pretty good sandwich made for you pretty quick, and it won't destroy any progress that you've made. Number two on my list is Taco Bell. I just don't think I'm going to be able to let go of Taco Bell. I mean, 24 hours a day, you can get your fix of quick food. It's not great food, but a lot of us kind of grew up with it, and now it's like comfort food. Just don't eat too much of it, lest you get a case of the splitter splatters the next morning. And number one is, for me at least, is Five Guys Burgers. Now, of all things fast food, I love me some french fries. And Five Guys makes the best fries I've ever had. Their burgers are pretty good too. But I find that the burger just kind of gets in the way of my french fry intake. Damn. I feel like I need to eat a salad and get on the treadmill. Thanks, Jay Lynch. All right, now we have three more topics left to tackle. The next one on deck comes from Andrew Croy, and he writes in, Donated five bucks. What's your opinion on EDH slash Commander? Never heard you talk about it before and wanted to hear your thoughts. Got any decks? Well, Andrew, I've got like six EDH decks. The problem is that they are all in my mind, and they keep changing. You know, I'll write down some deck lists, but, but they are just skeletons of ideas and partial lists. 
I'm finding that I, I just don't have the discipline to sit down and actually finish an entire EDH deck. One day I will, though, and you'll all be in deep trouble. Now, personally, I, I actually love the idea of Commander, and I'm glad that it got legs. I feel that it's a format that really took on a life of its own due to the people who hold a sincere love for the game. You know, WotC may be high when it comes to a lot of the things that they do, but I think their support for this format was one of the best things they could have done for their customers and supporters. You know, when I first got started playing Magic, I was, uh, I was playing multiplayer moshes that was a little like EDH. I mean, essentially, we'd played with these big 100-plus card decks that just contained cards that we enjoyed playing with. I mean, that was kind of the essence of Magic the Gathering, a group of people getting together and having fun with a card game. You know, it was never about points after the Swiss rounds, winning packs, or, or qualifying for a big tournament. It was simply about getting the most out of a game with people who loved the game as much as you did. In a way, I, I think that Magic has kind of come full circle with EDH. I mean, in the beginning, none of us really knew what we were doing. You know, we were just building decks and having fun with them. And over time, we became more competitive. Well, my deck is better than yours. Oh, oh yeah? We'll prove it. And as a result, we got Magic tournaments. And when winning a local tournament wasn't good enough, we wanted to travel and play in a larger tournament. And then we wanted to play in the National Championships, and then the Pro Tour, and maybe even Worlds. But in the end, I, I think that the large core of us reflected back on it all, and we came to a common conclusion. Everything that was once old is new again. The circle is complete. We just wanted to build a deck and have some fun with some buddies. I mean, is that too much to ask? I mean, all this bullshit pressure to win a tournament. I mean, you can have it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to clean off this kitchen table. We're going to crack open a couple of cold ones, and we're going to shuffle it up. No ante, no points to win, no losing ratings. We're not playing for packs. We're just going to play for the sake of playing. For the love of the game. I have a deep respect for those who have EDH decks. I mean, the fact that they have EDH decks tells me all I need to know when it comes to how they feel about our game. I very much look forward to playing some EDH in the very near future. Thanks for the question and the donation, Andrew. Cheers, brother. Let's see, what's next? Oh, my good buddy Branson Mitchell. He writes in, I donated five bucks... I want you to talk about your favorite Magic playing memories and what has made them stick with you. <laughs> well, how much uh, how much time you got? Now, this is actually one of the many reasons why I love this game so much. It has given me so many incredible memories and taken me to so many different places that I might have never gone to had I not gotten into Magic. I mean, from east to west, San Diego, San Jose, San Francisco, Seattle. Um, Las Vegas, Salt Lake City, uh, Albuquerque, uh, Cheyenne, Lincoln, Nebraska, Kansas City, Chicago, uh, Cleveland, New York, Washington, D.C., and, uh, and Disney World in Orlando as a cherry on top. And I'm not even a pro Magic player. 
honestly, there's just way too many good memories to count, and, and the great thing is, is that I keep making them. You know, some of my favorite memories include winning my first PTQ with my teammates. I played in a tournament where I won a Black Lotus. That was pretty awesome. You know, grinding into Nationals in 2004 ranks up there. Going undefeated and winning the Regionals title in 2008 on my birthday, no less. I mean, that ranks up there. But I'll tell you, there's one memory I've had playing Magic that isn't necessarily one of my favorites, but it ranks very highly as one of the most important I've ever had. And that's competing in my very first Pro Tour. I had ascended from this kid who played Magic on a coffee table, drinking beer and eating pretzels, to sitting with the best of the best. This particular experience did something to me. And looking back, I see this guy who took a great game and persevered to become better than most. And all of a sudden, I see the same guy sitting down across from the kings of this game. <laughs> and needless to say, I didn't do very well. This was Team Trios, and, and our team finished 3-2-1, and one, just barely missing the day two cutoff. I definitely made some rookie mistakes, but I also played as best as I could and, and held my own. But this experience was much more relevant than the actual event itself. I think it cursed me. I'm serious. It's a curse that fills me with this overwhelming desire to go back and, and show them what I'm made of. It's a memory that's branded me, and I'm reminded I have that mark every time I walk into a PTQ as a competitor. Hell, even when I'm not playing in a PTQ, there's this burning sensation inside my gut that begs the question, why aren't you at that top table? When are you going to go back and show them what you were made of? And part of me doesn't wish this curse on anyone. Uh, one of my teammates, Phil, recently went to Pro Tour Philly and finished with a 4-4 four and four record, missing the 5-3 and three cutoff for day two. His response? Well, it could have been better, it could have been worse. All I know is that I want to go back. He has the curse now. Once players get just a, oh, just a small taste of what it's like, it's haunting, it's energizing, it's almost refreshing. All I could think about on the flight home from the Pro Tour was, how can I improve my game and get back there? I mean, this memory to me always kind of felt bittersweet. It's turned me into a very competitive Magic player, and sometimes I let that competitive nature get the best of me which isn't always a good thing. But I am thankful for this memory because I can honestly say that this was the memory that lit the fuse. It, it was the ultimate catalyst, and because of it, I made some incredible memories. And I'm going to keep making them. In the next episode of Jin's Playground, The Second Barrel. We just gots to talk about the new set, Innistrad. And all my time, and I gotta say, I've seen some weird shit coming out of Renton, Washington. But nothing, nothing as weird as this set. We gotta take a look at the upcoming and ever popular state championships. Or, as some people like to call them, the 2011s but that's awkward. It's the state championships. This time, it's personal. Have you seen the playmats for this event? It's pretty sick. It's time to see if the forces from Colorado Springs has what it takes to 
bring that title back down south. There is doubt. Let's see, what else we got on tap for the next episode? We'll also sit down with a pen, paper, and abacus, along with an artificial intelligence thinking computer, and try our damnedest to figure out just what in the hell all of these new Planeswalker points are about. Even with all that help, I have my doubts that we will figure it out. Now, for those disciples keeping track at home, the Tainted Ten in this episode was actually the Tainted Nine. The very last topic needs a little bit more attention. Actually, it needs a lot more attention. Hell, I could do an entire episode on this topic, and who knows? I might just. What could this topic be, you might ask? You'll just have to listen and find out. Patience is a valuable trait, and God knows that every Jin's Playground listener has an infinite amount of it. We have a few other little treats in the bottle, along with some big Jin's Playground news. I'm actually really excited to share all of this stuff with you guys. This news has been a long time in the making, and it's something that I'm anxious to talk about with you guys. And of course, as always, we'll have some community calendar updates on all the big events happening in the near future, including... Could it be a return of the big pre-release? And could it be that the return is happening as soon as, say, the Innistrad pre-release? Perhaps. That is a wrap, everyone. Thanks for listening. This podcast will self-destruct in three, two, one.